You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Josh Rose, he chested it down and emphatically volleyed past Galekovic, who could only watch. So, uh, welcome to this episode of the Down the Pool podcast. Uh, we have crossed continents and vast oceans to get this player onto the podcast. Uh, welcome to the show, uh, Newcastle Jets player, Roy O'Donovan. Welcome Hi, to the mate. show, buddy. Thank you. How are you doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. I really, really appreciate it. Um, so, first question is, how's life in Oz, and is there many restrictions down there? Yeah, look, life in Australia is uh, a lot better than a lot of places. We're very thankful. Um, the Australian government done, done really well. They locked down the, the borders early on, and, uh, you know, things are back to normal pretty much now. So, uh, you know, we're very fortunate. And the sun is shining, and the smiles on faces, so... <laughs> Yeah, norm, normal life resumes. Amazing, amazing. So, um, so how have you found the standard of football out there in Australia? Um, I know the the league starts off as well at the end of the month. So, um, just the second part of the question is like, how does preseason differ over there compared to what you would do back in England? Right. Yeah. Well, look, standard wise, football over here is is good. I, I mean, teams generally generally try and play the right way. They they want to get the ball down and play football. Uh, obviously, it's it's difficult conditions. We play during the summer over here, which is uh, pretty hot, um, hard pitches and all that kind of stuff. But uh, in fairness to Australia, they, look, you're allowed five foreign players and they tend to get decent quality over here. So that brings the, the standard up. And, you know, a lot of the teams, their Aussie players would be Socceroos. They'd have a couple of Socceroos in their team. So, it, look, it's a good standard of football. As I said, it's physical. They, they like to pass the ball around. It's a challenge. And, uh, yeah, I've been here now. This will be my fifth season. And, uh, yeah, I, I love it. Um, pre-season-wise, I don't love that too much. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a long, it's a very long pre-season. Three months, usually, is pre-season over here. And, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of running. There's a lot of beach running. There's a lot of, you know, physical stuff and pre-season friendlies that you really, after about a month, you're, you're done with it. You just want to get into the real stuff but uh, anyway as you said I'm nearly at the real stuff now New Year's Eve we kick off so I can't wait to get going again Amazing uh, so how does the Irish complexion deal with like all the heat and the, the sun and stuff uh, yeah, well as you can see I'm, I'm very dark anyway so uh, <laughs> I don't even need to wear sunscreen uh, yeah, no, obviously I'm factor 50 out of my nut um, you know I have, to, I have to make sure I'm prepared uh, and that's even at night time so um, you know so it is, it is look it takes a bit of getting used to I won't you know, I won't like it. Even just playing in it, just trying to get your your oxygen in and stuff like that it takes a while. But uh, yeah, I'm ju- I'm just just about used to it now. I would say. 
So uh, just just for our listeners here in Canada, there will be subtitles just so they yeah. can you know what's going on here. So, <laughs> so so you've kind of built yourself a bit of a a bad boy reputation over there. Uh, do, do you think it's warranted? And like, do you think that you're going to be picked on by referees because of that? Nah, look, it's it's that nah, settled down a little bit now. I, I I feel like I had a two high profile kind of sendings off over here that were. I thought, look, over over dramatised the the fact that I wasn't Australian doesn't help. Uh, the bit of a stigma with the fighting Irish and all that maybe went <laughs> against me. Um, but uh, you know, look, uh, you know, I'm 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 a pretty fair player. All I ever want to do is be the best teammate I can be and try and win football games. And and you know, sometimes you you step over the line, you make mistakes. Uh, whether people think they're genuine mistakes or not, it's that's, that's other people's opinions but uh, you know I just want to win football games and score as many goals as I can and, and I've always been like that um, don't get me wrong I have a bit of an edge to me but uh, if I didn't have that I wouldn't be in football for the last you know whatever 18, 19, 20 years whatever it is so you need to have an edge you need to have some sort of you know aggressive streak in you and I certainly have that so. Does that feel weird saying that you've been in football for like 20 years nearly? It's very strange it feels very strange to think that I was doing my first pre-season in, in in England with Coventry when I was fifteen years old, uh, seems a no. It seems a long long time when I say twenty years. It doesn't feel that. It doesn't feel that long ago. Like, but um, but yeah. Hopefully, I'm I'm older and wise. I learned a lot, and I'm I'm still here. I'm still I'm still standing. So. <laughs> so just uh, just talked about Coventry there. Like you were uh, you, you signed for. Uh, your first pro contract, I think, there for, was it three years. You won was a YTS uh, yeah, game thing. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. so here in North America, like a lot of players go to college and then they go into the draft for the MLS and then they get drafted that way. So there's not that kind of cur- learning curve for when you're a kid and stuff like that. So, can you just explain to people what the YT scheme is and what does it entail? Yeah, well, at the time, I think it was like you you get seventy five pounds. A week, uh, you get your 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 digs, your living accommodation looked after. So with Coventry, we lived at the training ground, uh, and we basically we we trained morning and afternoon as a team. But we back in the day, we had a lot of jobs to do, so we had to look after basically the first team's kit, the boots, uh, make sure the place was clean, mopped down, toilets were clean, shower area was clean, um, and everything was ready to go for the next day's training. So you. You'd be up at eight o'clock, you know, starting your jobs to get be ready for the first team, who are the most important part. And you're not kind of finishing up really after you have your own training and everything like that finished until about four, five in the evening. So long days, being away from home. But um, look, you learn a lot of valuable lessons, a lot of you know harsh life lessons. It's it's a competitive environment as well. Um, you know, and and you you know you're not getting very little money for it, so you have to have a desire and a love for the game, to want to stay in it, and uh, especially when you're cleaning about nine pairs of boots after training <laughs> for the first for the first team and stuff, and getting the place ready, uh, you kind of think they said this is not the the Las Vegas that I signed up for, you know. But uh, but yeah, once you once you get through that initial shock of leaving home and having to do manual labour uh, after you know leaving leaving your mum and dad's house where you were spoiled rotten as a kid. Um, yeah, after you get used to that, it's uh, it's still a competitive environment, but you you know, you learn to adapt to the to the rigors of it, to the to the banter of a dressing room, which, you know, you can't be too sensitive. Um, and uh, it's a it's a great it's look it's a great it's a great job, um, for all your listeners in Canada. It's a great job when it's going well. 
Um, and, you know, you're going to have some testing times as well along the way. You know, it's not always, you're not always playing great. You're not always in the team. You're not always striking the ball great, you know, whatever it is. And um, you've got to be mentally strong and, and that takes time and, and you know, practice to, to, to learn to let things go and just keep confidence in your own ability. But um, I've been fortunate. I've been through the ups and downs of it. And uh, as I said to you, I'm still standing, still enjoying it. And uh, I'm one of the fortunate ones. Big time. So, um, like, like, so when you're doing the, the YTS game, like, did you also do school work as well, or did you give up school completely? Like, yeah, we what? did. We did. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I think that was like a part. A part of the scheme was you do um, half day on a Monday. So you finish. You do one session on a Monday on the pitch, and then you go into the classroom for the afternoon, and then all day Wednesday. So I, I did. Um, sports science um so you learn about you know exercise physiology you learn about massage you learn about you know dietary requirements so it was good it all kind of linked into my career as a footballer which helped me uh, i'm not sure had i not become a pro and and things not worked out would i have went down the sports science route or pe teacher route or whatever but um you know you, you're 15 16 you tick the box and you feel like that's an avenue to go down, you know. I, I'm not sure there was much future thoughts in it, like you know. But uh, at least I was, I was using my mind in some way. Anyway. What's the easiest class I can do here? Yeah, pretty much. There was a bit, of, there was a bit of that. I'd have to play football. I'd be in the first team by the time I'm 16. Who needs this rubbish? Who was the most famous player at uh, Coventry? Who was Gucci got to clean? Yeah, uh, at the time uh, would have been Lee Carsley. Uh, nice. So, yeah, so he he was spot on, and I got I got to play with with Carzo later on in my career. But uh, he was sound, you know. He was he was good. He he was a good tipper at Christmas. <laughs> he uh, he wasn't uh, you know he he just wanted his boots clean and soft. He, you know some I think some people at, at the time as well a lot of, a lot of players could have been like you know a little bit um, chauvinistic about it. They wanted they want to show you they're the big dog, and you know they'd make sure like you know your boots their boots could be clean and. And, and polished in the whole lot and they'd still come in and moan the next day and that it's not good enough, you know. And it was, that was just kind of a lesson on standards, make sure your standards are high, you know. But, uh, but Cars, Cars are always top man, to be fair. That's awesome, that's awesome. Uh, so you left Coventry and you came back, uh, you signed for Cork. Uh, what was yeah. it like winning a league title with your home, hometown club? I was fantastic, honestly. Uh, it actually worked out great for me, you know. Obviously, I was disappointed that I hadn't broken into the first team at Coventry, but... You know, it happens. 18, 19, and, you know, you're still not fully developed physically, mentally, as a football player yet. Um, and, you know, you didn't get that break of luck where someone liked me and just put me in the team and gave me a chance. But um, it was a blessing because I went back to Cork City, uh, who was, which was a club that was building and getting bigger and there's a lot of hype around it. And uh, I got to play with a, with a great team a great bunch of guys who all went on to to, to do great things in, in the game um Damien Richardson who was, was the coach as well was was the perfect person for me to let me you know be myself and play my game and uh, express myself on, on and off the park I, he did, I, I felt like my my personality could could show which is not always the case uh, and yeah we, we we won the league that year and it's unfortunate in the few years that I was that we didn't win it more. We tended to lose a couple of good players every season because people knew we were a good team, and um, 
you know, financially, I think uh, we had a, a local business owner by the name Brian Lennox who took the club and done great things, uh, taking the club forward. But uh, obviously, it's a business and he had to keep things afloat. So players were, you know, players were coming in and players were on the move, making money for the club. And, uh, you know, it, it hurt us. But uh, yeah, I got to play with some really, really excellent professionals and players at the time. So what was it like going from, like, playing in the, the U teams at Coventry mm-hmm. to then you're coming in, you're playing against like like senior pros. Like what was the step yeah. up in uh, like physicality and stuff like that for you? Yeah. Yeah, well, I suppose from Coventry, as you said, I was playing reserves and U team football. So, um, yeah, I suppose physically it was different to go play men's football, and especially in the League of Ireland at the time. Even though teams did try and play, uh, and there was some really good teams at the time. Um, uh, Shelburne, St. Pat's and uh, Bowes, to name a few there, Derry. Um, but um, physical, I mean, you, you had to be tough. You had to, you know, stand up and be counted, you know, because uh, any chink in your armour in, in the League of Ireland and, you know, and like you were seen as the weak link and, you know, teams would pick on that. So, um, you know, just because I was the youngest, I didn't want to be the weak link and let the lads down. So... <laughs> You know, I gave, I gave as good as I got. And that, it, was a good, it was a good ground for me. And, uh, you know, I had, had a few uh, had a few sendings off as well at Cork in the day. I got a few slaps on the wrist from Damien and, and the boys. But um, by and large, it went really well for me. I scored a lot of goals there, assisted a lot of goals, played the first two seasons predominantly on the right wing. Um, Servicing the likes of uh, Neil Fenn, John O'Flynn, George O'Callaghan, Kevin Doyle. And, and Shane Long, so some some really good attacking players there, just without even going to defensive players. And then, you know, a few of those players left, Fenny, Doyle or Longy left along the way, and I got my chance to go up uh, as striker, um, and the goals flowed, and I got to play with Neil Fenn as my strike partner, so he would have been, you would talk about him as being a number 10 in today's formations and I was the number nine so I had the legs to go beyond and he was the clever one that linked the play and he was brilliant for me he was so unselfish so clever at putting the ball into space for me and I thought we had a really good partnership and um, I'm sure he would say he even scored a lot more goals playing up front with me and we just had a good partnership than he would have done you know with anybody else so um, yeah I enjoyed it it was a good groaning for me and I wish I could have played with a player like that more often in England because um I always felt, uh, you know, when I when I played as as a striker in England, I, I was always looking for someone who was that link player, an unselfish player that could play the ball, you know, play to my strengths, which was, you know, being a quick player, get the ball in behind teams and give me a chance to run and bear down on goal. And um, more often than not, you ended up playing with kind of very similar player to yourself if you played in the four four two kind of athletic players, you know, and. Uh, as I said, likes of Fenny and that were worth a weight in goal, just share football intelligence. So, so we had we had Neil on the show there uh, a few months ago during lockdown, and obviously he was manager yeah. of Cork at the time. Yeah, looking at Cork from the outside now, like, what's it feel like looking at the club, like the way it's kind of gone down, like they got relegated and stuff like that. Like, how, how, like looking at from yeah. the outside in, where do you think it's kind of gone wrong for them? Look, I suppose with everything in life and football especially is no different. Finances, I don't think they had the biggest budget in the world to go and get some of the best in the League of Ireland to really test the top four. Unfortunately, they had a very young squad and 
And I'm sure going in there, their remit was, you know, to maybe not to win the league, but certainly be competitive. And unfortunately, results didn't go their way. I don't think they had the best stock of players. They probably had a good group of young players they could work with. But unfortunately, you need a bit of experience and you need a bit of quality and you need to be able to score goals. And um, unfortunately for them, they, they conceded a few too many and they didn't score enough at the other end. And, and, and results ultimately cost Fenny his job. And I'm sure that will disappoint him and Joe Gamble, who was his assistant, um, because, you know, it's a club that would have been close to their heart. But, um, fortunately, that's, that's, that's the game. It's a results business and somebody gets the blame. Usually it's the coach. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, they've gone down now to the, the first division. But they're a big club um, in League of Ireland terms. Um, I think they've had a takeover now from uh, the, Preston, the Preston Consortium. So, um, there'll be fresh money going into the club. And, and I hope that they get out of... The first division at the first time of asking because, um, as I said, they're a big club and um, you need as many big clubs in League of Ireland to make, to make sure that there's there's noises being made about the league because uh, there's still a lot of quality there. Yeah, you, like you know, I'm from Dublin, but you don't want to end up with just ten Dublin teams in the league, right? I mean, mm. you need to have the the regionalisation, yeah. and it's, it is a kind of shame to see such a great club like going through tough times like that. But do you think that like that that money that's coming in, do you think there's like a like they have to be kind of careful because how many clubs have you seen where these investors come in to, to rescue things and it ends up being worse than what it's been? Yeah, yeah. And, and Cork City have, have experienced that themselves previously uh, over a decade ago now. But um, look, I hope I hope they do things the right way, the, the sensible way. They bring in just the right amount of players and, and quality to get them out of the division first and foremost and they can start thinking of their, the bigger scheme of things after that. I think first and foremost, get out of the first division, which I think is achievable. Uh, with, with just a few additions and and just the right culture at the club, um, and I think they will. I, just, I look. I just hope it's it's positive things um, for the football. Club. I don't know what the the new consortium's plans are. I really, don't know a lot about it. But uh, I just hope that their intentions are good and and for the betterment of the future of Cork City. So they haven't tried to get you to go back. <laughs> no, no, they haven't. No, not, they haven't. Not, they haven't. They haven't called me. They know what to find me. But uh, look, at this moment in time, anyway, I'm, I'm very, I'm very happy where I am. So uh, maybe I, I wouldn't be taking that call. <laughs> so, so um, uh, you, like yourself, and as you mentioned, Shane Long, Kevin Doyle, he's a great advert for the League of Ireland and how good the quality is. And you guys got to to leave and go off to England and stuff like that. Obviously you want the, the League of Ireland to do well. What, what do you think they need to learn from the GAA? Because the GAA is like great at fundraising and they're great at lobbying politicians to get mm. kind of what they want to. What, what do you think they need to learn from the GAA to kind of build the game up to a higher level um, to, to keep... Because how many times have we seen where it's almost kind of collapsed because of money and all that kind of stuff? What do you think they need to do to kind of get it to the next yeah. level? Well, look, the, the, what we have in Ireland, the government are great for helping uh, the local GA clubs because, you know, hurling and, and Gaelic football are our national sports. Uh, and because they're, they're amateur status, they get all the grants and, they, they, you know, they build up their clubhouses and they have club bars and they have great facilities. But, you know, League of Ireland is kind of considered professional football. And, you know, really and truly, it's... Uh, it's Barely, it's barely that, you know. I mean, the players are professional in terms of, you know, yeah, they don't they don't work a job and, and they're playing football for money. But there's not a great deal of money in the League of Ireland these days. 
facility wise, you know, um, the, the the likes of Shamrock Rovers uh, would be, you know, and Cork City to be fair, even though Cork City don't own their own stadium, um, you know, facility wise, it, it's it's not there. Um, media wise, in fairness, the newspapers and, and they do they do try and give the the league a push, um, and they've been really good. And there, there is games on RT and there is games on Air Sports, so there is there is profile there, but. Uh, but yeah, look, they need they need funding from the government. They need you know something to to help the, the future generations of Irish players coming through. They need facilities for the, these all these academies, these national league academies that are sprouting up, and and they need you know finally they need stadiums and, and facilities that want and get people to go to the games. You know, um, you know we love football, we love sport in our country, whether it's hurling, football, rugby, whatever it is, definitely soccer, but. You know, the League of Ireland is kind of like seen um, not in the kind of a great light sometimes, you know, and, and people say they don't help themselves as clubs, as you said, financially in turmoil and this, that and the other thing. But um, there's a lot of good people trying to do the right things for League of Ireland. They just need, they need support. And, and most of that is financial, whether that be grants from the local governments or national government um, it'll benefit the Irish youth and, and, and players that are coming through because uh, that's the only way we're going to compete at a national level going forward uh, and um, you know I hope especially after COVID now people see what matters you know truly to people and, and sport is a big part of get, getting the country back on its feet again and and you know the youth of the future as they say so um, you know I hope the government sees some sense and, and get some granting and funding down towards League of Ireland clubs because uh, yeah, they're professional but they're amateur I would imagine in, in status and everything else that goes on behind the scenes So do you think that's the way to go for them is to like start building national academies kind of the way that England has done it where they have like the, yeah. the FA kind of put, put a lot of money into that and obviously they're seeing the benefits of it with the, the players they've got coming through now like do you think that's the way to go for Ireland? Yeah, look, eventually, I think so. Like at the moment, you've got your 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 under whatever 13s, 15s, 17s League of Ireland national kind of level, which is which is excellent. So you've got the cream of the crop testing themselves, um, you know, half the year against the cream from all the other counties around the place and all the League of Ireland club. That's fantastic. But uh, for it to get better, you need look like any, anything else. You need better quality coaching. You need better, you know, higher standards. You need better facilities, and that all costs money. So uh, it, it all comes back to the basics again. It's it's finances, and you know, um, we're not a, we're not a huge country, but uh, I think we're we're a country that look, has in the past and and historically achieved kind of um, over the odds. Um, but you know, nowadays. You know, nowadays every every other nation is kind of miles ahead of us in in terms of their um their grassroots organisation and and funding and facilities. And uh, look, I I just hope that there there is things start to be done behind the scene. I think they do need a lot of funding from the government, as you said, the, the GA and uh, get a lot of that because of their amateur status. But uh, the League of Ireland tend to miss out on a lot, and it's probably a little bit unfair, really, because we're a, we're a big soccer country as well. So um, after after Cork, then you, you went back across the the pond to uh, to, to Sunderland. I know there was talk yeah. of you you were going to go to to Fulham originally. Um, have you ever have you met Laurie Sanchez since then? When you kind of turned him down, or no, no, no. <laughs> we we had we we had one great phone call when when I told him I was going to go to Sunderland, and he told me go fuck myself. <laughs> uh, so, Love it. Uh, yeah, one one one. one, one Crazy, one of the crazy guys shouting down the phone. You're this, you're that. <laughs> but, um, 
look, I, I think I made the right choice. I, I was, I was, I wanted to um, to experience the Premier League and and Roy Keane, Niamh Quinn, you know, and all the Irish players that were there at the time. It was a great time to be a part of Sunderland, being the top level, and uh, you know, we we as a club at the time for for those few years, we done really well. You know, we we held our own the Premier League. We had some big wins as well, and uh, you know, I, I I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. So I'm sure you're asked so many questions about Roy Keane, and I'm sorry, this is uh, he's such a an enigmatic figure. Uh, so. What's he like, like day to day as a manager? Because, like, obviously, you see like the headlines of when he left Anthony Stokes behind on the, from the bus or whatever, and then there's talk yeah. of when he resigned. The players were cheering and all that kind of stuff. Did, did you find him to be a huge asshole? That like it was kind of hard to, to to work with him, or like like how did you find him day to day? Yeah, look, he it was hard work because he had high standards. You know, uh, he wanted the very best all the time and everything you did. You know, so. Whether that be timekeeping, whether that be the way you train, whether that be the way you look after your body, but his real, you know, his real thing was once you give a hundred percent on a Saturday, give me everything, give the team everything. Um, he, he he was fairly good, you know. Uh, I don't think he he's a big one for um, you know, for egos and attitudes. Definitely not. But uh, if you're doing the business for the for the football club, you can you can be what you want, you know. Um, but he was he's very good as well. Very very witty. Um, you know, when you got to have a conversation with him. Um, but to, to have the opportunity, I, I was blessed to have the opportunity to work for somebody like that who I would consider to be one of the greatest players of his generation, certainly. Uh, certainly probably up there with one of the greatest Irish players ever with, with the likes of John Giles and, and Brady and, and, and Robbie Keane. Um, you know, he was something else, you know. And he used to join in training and he was still unbelievable, you know. I wish, I wish he, you know, put the boots on more and actually played. He might have done better. You know? but, uh, but, yeah, look, he, he, had very, he had very high standards and, and, and you know, you know he, he upset a lot, of, a lot of, you know, big names and, and big egos. He didn't care. He didn't care who you are. People say he ruled by fear. And he did a little bit, but it, not in the way you think. Not that he wants to go around and freak people out. Just... Just very high standards. Just wants the best. He wants you to be better than, than you even think you can be. And um, he was, you know, very, very harsh and, and just want you to be 100% on it every day, whether it's training, games, just be on it, do the right thing, and uh, you'll be all right. And I, I was lucky enough. I, you know, I was too scared to do anything else to give him 100% really. So, um, so we, never, we never really had a falling out too often. And, uh, he was he was good. We'd have a bit of crack, and he gave me a few a few pointers. And you know, when he when he gave you a compliment, you fell ten feet tall. So, uh, you know, I wanted to play as good as I possibly could, so I get more compliments and, and, and feel like a superhero. So that's the thing, though. Like, I mean, like, like what you're saying there, like giving a hundred percent, you know, being on time. Like that just seems like to be expected. I don't, why would people have an issue with that? I don't quite understand. Like, why somebody would get yeah. pissy with Roy Keane if he's expecting to be somewhere on time like you're a professional right and you're being paid yeah. quite a lot of money and I think that's where like fans look in and kind of like maybe just be a bit pissed off with professional footballers with the money they're on and stuff like that when you hear mm-hmm. people being yeah. upset about wanting to be on time yeah well I suppose as well like I mean we had at the time 30 odd um, first team players and I don't mean squad players I mean lads that have played internationally played at the Premier League for a decade prior to coming to Sunderland and they weren't getting in squads and they were playing the reserves um, so it was Roy Keane's version of what he thought was their 100% you 
You know what I'm saying? Okay, okay. So yeah. it wasn't it wasn't there for I'm giving you hundred percent. You know, he's saying, No, it's not good enough, you're in reserves this week, or you're not trying with the first team today. So he didn't care who he upset it. He all he cared about was results and getting the best out of his, his team. And uh, that's what I'm saying. I mean, the, 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 he you know, he didn't kind of bow down to anybody's ego. Um, you know, and he was he was he, he was, you know, a top player. He he, he could give us you know, he could give it out and you couldn't really say much back to him because he was a top player in his day, you know. But yeah, I suppose it would have been hard for the likes of, you know, Andy Cole and Dwight York who were coming to the end of their careers um, and probably weren't at the same, you know, level they probably were four or five years previous, you know, do you know what I'm saying? Um, it's probably hard for them to take a spray off. Uh, Roy Keane, had, he had been a teammate a few years previous, but that's just part of, part of the game, isn't it? You know, but... Um, Look, I found it to be good. To be to be fair, overall, I I, I didn't feel he was uh, the lunatic. Sometimes people make him out to be, but um, yeah, he he gave you a glare every now and then. And you know, looking back, now, it, it, it's just funny. Just his his ways are, are quite funny, but he he's straight to the point. There's no messing around. Well, at Sunderland, then I think Roy lasted maybe like one or two seasons when you were there. Uh, when he left, because he obviously like fought to get you into Sunderland. Mm-hmm. Like, so what do you think? And then when he when he resigns, like, what are you kind of start panicking? Then going, what the what am I going to do? No, look, I'm not panicking. I'm still on a young boy at the time, and 21, 22, whatever it was. Um, disappointed because I, I I did think I had a chance on the Roy. I think he he liked the way I went about. You know, I carried myself the way I went about my work, and when I when I was going on loan. Uh, you know, he was very honest about it. He said, look, you need to play more games and come back to me um, because I think you can do very well, but I need you to come, go and play 20-odd games, score, you know, 10, 15 goals somewhere and come back and, and, and be a real asset to me. Um, you know, he wasn't sending me alone as a token gesture. Um, but unfortunately, half it through, I was alone somewhere and, and, and yeah, he he walked away. I got the sack, whatever it was at the time. Um, and look, I was disappointed. There was no, look, there was no panic. It's part of the game as well. I, I've seen seen it now twenty odd times since uh, managers lose their job, results aren't going their way, there's a falling up behind the scenes. But um yeah, look I did I did uh, I was disappointed from him. I sent him a text to, to wish him all the best. Um but um yeah, that's that's the that's the game, you know. He was manager of Ipswich within twelve months I think after that, you know, so Did he respond to the text? Oh, he didn't. He didn't at the time. I think he would have been. He, he would have been uh, blocked the number. Pretty, yeah, angry and brooding back in his house in Manchester. Or but, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't hold it against him. So, like, so at Sunderland, there you mentioned you went down loans. So you're kind of like the whole time you were there was almost peppered with loans and stuff like that. What, what yeah. do you, th- what do you yeah. think? It never kind of properly clicked for you. Uh, it's just one of these things. I mean, I, I suppose big squads. I think I was unfortunate if I if I had scored a goal or two early on while I was there, uh, it kind of would have took taken the edge off, and when they you know it would give would have given me an opportunity to start more games. Um, I felt kind of always because it was such a big squad, you were always trying to having to prove your place there. And as I, as I mentioned some of the names earlier there, I was coming up against some pretty big names, big characters, and. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the games I did play there, and for my few seasons there, I played as a right winger. Uh, again, I can play there. I'm, I'm a solid right winger. I give you all I have, and I'll try and set you know strikers up as much as I can. Um, but you know, I think my main strength is my movement and and getting in behind teams and trying to score goals. And uh, 
Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to play a striker as often. And I, as I said, looking back, if I had scored a goal or two in the games I did play, um, it might have been a different story. But uh, yeah, look, it's just just the way it is. It's not it's not easy, no matter how good you are or good, how good you think you are. You need a bit of luck along the way, and um, you get you get it sometimes, and other times you don't. But um, but in the games I did play, I gave it my all. I thought I played really well. I got better as the, as my time went on there. Uh, and I'm sure I would would have done great had I had more time, which I wish I did. Um, but it's part of the game. You just you move on and you you try and do it somewhere else. So uh, watching, I, I'm I'm sure you've watched the the, the Sunderland Until I Die documentary. Um, like looking looking back in inside to the club, then again, like I mean, do things look different from when you were there? Because it, like it's a great documentary. It's so in depth. Uh, do, do things look a lot different from when you were there? Uh, no, it was still a lot of people, a lot of the same people at play. Um, obviously, the coaching staff has changed quite a few times since I've been there. Which coaching staff and playing staff, I think that's a a big problem that they do have. I think uh, they've they make wholesale changes too often. Really, um, I, I think they've they've made so many changes. You you end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You know, um, you know, you, you kind of forget how good maybe people have done at times so then whether that's coaches or players and you go through a bit of a bad spell and the fans aren't too happy in, in the, the short term period and it's like ah, yeah we get rid of them and that's for me that's politics and I think they've suffered because of that because they spent a, four, a new manager comes in and he wants to play a certain style of football he's going to bring a whole squad in to play that style of football six months down the line he gets the sack a new gaffer comes in and they go a complete different direction and they were playing total football previously. Now they want to play long ball football. Guess what? He's got to go and spend millions of pounds to get a whole new squad in again. And that's crippled the club. You can see that in, in the documentary. And uh, the same things are still happening. I think that they have a new manager again in the last few weeks. You know, there's no, yeah, they, there's no they, continuity there, you know? Yeah, they sacked uh, Phil, Phil Parkinson, didn't they? Yeah, uh, yeah you know? It's crazy, like, for a league one thing. Like, I know that, like, they... They want the success to get like it's not even success now. It's just to get back up into the championship. Um, but I mean, like for, for the fans, like I'm sure you're around them. Like, does it hurt to see see them suffering the way that they are? Oh, it is, and it's very difficult. You know, obviously, uh, I lived there for a while, and I, I made some friends there, and I still speak to them now. And yeah, they're, look, they're they're really disappointed. They've never been, you know, around that level for too long. League One, you know, they, okay, they've been in the championship and Premier League and kind of yo-yoed for a while. But they're they're a big club. They've never would have never envisioned being in in the third division uh, and been there for any longer than a, than a season. So similar to Leeds United quite a few years ago, it's it's you know it's a hard bitter pill to swallow. Um, but it's the game, you know. It's um, it's it's cutthroat. There's huge clubs above them in the Championship and the Premier League, and there's probably even you know bigger clubs in League One as well. You know, it's just. Uh, you know, they just need to get out of there. They need to get out of that division quick because I'm sure it's costing them a fortune with the, some of the salaries they have historically from coming down from the Premier League and Championship that they're still having to pay. Um, but um, yeah, it's a big club. There's a, lot, there's a lot of pressure there as well to get on. I, I think the longer they're in League One, I think the more you know the fans get kind of frustrated with it. And obviously in the boardroom, they're getting frustrated because they've, they've gone through a few managers now since they've been relegated. So... Uh, yeah, I just I look up this the, the new guy Johnson. I hope he gets some time. I hope you know he's able to kind of keep a squad together for 
a bit of time to build some sort of culture and, and, and you know, style, football style and, and work his way up the leagues because uh, if you keep changing every six to 12 months, there's no longevity in it. So do you, uh, what, what's it like, what's it like playing in front of a packed stadium like? Because it, it looks like it's one, like it's one of the greatest stadiums in, in, in England. So what's it like playing in front of all those crazy, crazy fans? Yeah, no, it was something special really. I mean, getting the chance to play in the Premier League and at a 40-odd thousand seater stadium. And it, and it used to be full. I mean, the, the North East and especially Sunderland, they live for football. There's not much else in the town but the football. Um, and they love it and they're so passionate about it. It, uh, it really shapes their week. The Sunderland winning at the weekend really makes a good week in Sunderland. And obviously that has the reverse effect as well. Uh, and I was fortunate that we had some some really good wins, and we were competitive. You know, Roy wouldn't have had it any other way. We were competitive, and you know, we didn't go down without a fight. You know, do you know what I'm saying? But to play to play at that level, and and you know, you're walking out in the tunnels, looking all, looking over at the, the Gerrards and the Lampards, the Torres, the Ronaldos, and all these fellas, and you know, you're watching them on match a day a few months previously. Uh, it was uh, it was you know. It was surreal and makes the hair stand up in the back of the neck. And uh, yeah, I, I was, you know, I was loving life. Um, you know, it was, everything was a uh, hundred miles an hour. It was, you know, it was, it was, there was, there was pressure, there was nerves, there was anxiety, there was uh, enjoyment, there was passion, there was everything rolled into to my time at Sunderland and, and learning to be a, a first team player. But uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. It was a, a fantastic club to be a part of for a, a very short time and uh, I learned a, a hell of a lot from the people there and just to uh, get the chance but to play with what I consider to be a big club that's uh, you know not at the level it should be at currently. So you, you played under Ryan and you, you played under another Premier League legend in Robbie Fowler. Um, mm-hmm. how, how did their styles differ? Um, yeah look I thought um, I thought Roy was really really good you could see he had, he'd been doing it a while he uh, he had really kind of had a structure the way he went about his management you know he had a good coaching staff around him and he trusted them to, to do the work and he looked after you know the players um getting getting you know getting a good squad in getting the you know the team on the park right and uh, making sure people were you know on their game mentally uh, it was probably different with, with, with Robbie last year. I mean, obviously the budgets are different. Playing in Australia, playing in the Premier League, so he came at one one coach. Um, but he got to, he, to be fair to Robbie, he got to sign a, a whole new squad himself. So um, that was good. That was good to be part of that as well. You know, he, he was uh, developing a whole new squad and, and style of play. And um, yeah, but they, look, they were both great players, and you know, it was a pleasure to learn from from both of them. Um, but uh, obviously. As I said, finances and timing, and obviously, I'm sure if Robbie Fowler had the opportunity to have three or four coaches with him, the same as Roy did, it might have been a different story, you know. So, um, but um, but as I said, great players, and I'm just... we we attempted to uh, do the Robbie Fowler celebration after you scored <laughs> the one along. The no, way. no, no, no. That's, that's that's not me. That never will be. No, no, no. So, so after Sunderland, uh, your career went full circle, and back to Coventry, uh, you went. What, what was what was that? That must have been surreal. Like you know, that that's like where your journey started, yeah. and then you're back again. What was that like? Your first day back. 
Yeah, it was it was it was good. It was good, you know, because um, yeah, look, I had confidence in my own ability, and and having left Sunderland, a couple of loans, and um, the year before I had a good loan spell um, in League One, and and Eddie Bootroyd uh, at the time um, took a shine to me, um, and yeah, he, he look, I met I met with him, had a chat with him, and I just I loved the way he spoke about football, the passion he had for the game, and it was someone I wanted to work for, and. Uh, Luckily enough, I got to work with AD twice at two different clubs, and uh, he was fantastic. I love his. He's got a real, um, he's got a real likable quality, and you know he makes you want to play for him. And he, you know, it's like us against the world mentality. You know, you you kind of we're all in this together. We bunker in, and we're gonna we're gonna win and lose or win or lose as a team, but we're not gonna go down without a fight. And uh, yeah, he was uh, he was great. But to go back to Coventry and go full circle in, in that few year spell was great and look I wanted to uh, I, I had some unfinished business at, at Coventry and I was really uh, excited about what lay ahead and going back as a first team player rather than as a U team player trying to make your way it was uh, it, it was a good experience to be to, you know but um, yeah look unfortunately as well 80 we were going well season one we were up near the top of the league come Christmas time and by February I think we had had won in quite a few games, and AD lost his job. And um, unfortunately for me, really, that that was a uh, that sent me back a little bit because you know I, he he liked me and he was going to give me a, give me a run and give me a chance. And uh, as I said previously, the, the new managers that came in, they, they don't know me anything. They want to bring their own players and style, and and I felt I, I suffered a little bit for that for a while. But um, you know, I, I I played I played some games there and. And uh, I tried hard, and it just uh, yeah, it didn't didn't work out the way I would have hoped it would. Um, just one of these things, you know. It wasn't for the want of trying. You made a surprising move then to to Brunei, and where you you ended up pissing off the Sultan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, so I like, I mean, oh yeah, you say I pissed him off. George O'Callaghan, who was kind of meant to be <laughs> advising me at the time, he uh, he was he got he got he got a gig in Malaysia. Uh, but in another part of Borneo, a team uh, there, and um, he wanted me to go there, and I kind of didn't really want to go at all. But I, I went over to meet George. It was a twenty-minute flight away, and I haven't given my word I'd sign in Brunei anyway. And I, I meant I was going to resign for another year uh, as the marquee for uh, the Sultan's team. And uh, yeah, when when photographs surfaced in the newspaper and the Borneo Times or whatever it was. Uh, it wasn't a good look for the royal family, so yeah, I got I got the I got the bullet. They withdrew the contract offer, and I was I was on the move once again. So yeah, I blame Georgie for that one. <laughs> you still talk to him? <laughs> ah, yeah, I do, I do. Uh, many years later, many years later, once the anger subsides. So, so what was it? What was it like living there? Like, a, like a, it just it seems like a kind of like it's just it looks like it's a good quality of life, obviously, because like it, they're they're very rich, but um, yeah. obviously it's a very strict. Muslim country too. So, what was life yeah. like there, and uh, did it help? How did it help develop you then as a player? It was really good for me because uh, I just come off the back of a few injuries, and I missed. I'd missed quite a lot of football in the six, the six month spell leading up to uh, going there. And uh, when I went there, it was brilliant. I got to get my my fitness fitness right, and I, I, I had every intention when I went there. I was, I'd get in for a season and go back to England as quick as I can, but I go back fit and sharp and strong and it worked out very well in that regard that I, I played 30 odd games scored plenty of goals 
Um, and, uh, you know, I was, you know, I kept myself, you know, touch wood in good nick. But, you know, when I did go away, um, it opened my eyes that there's, there's more to the world than, than England. Um, and there's, there's some great football and, and styles and, and leagues to play in outside further field. And, um, yeah, I, Brunei was, was, was good. They, they spoke perfect English. Um, it was, as you said, a very rich place. There was plenty to do there without drinking, no drinking there. So that was good for the body as well. Um, the coach was Steve Teen. So he, he, he was a really good coach, really, really, um, really tuned in, really, really good. He got a good kind of group of foreigners. You had five foreign players and, and the national Brunei team. And uh, he really molded us into a good team. And, um, my my best buddy at the time, Joe Gamble, he 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 came over as well from Ireland. So that was great. Our families, you know, could hang around together when we were playing away games or whatever. But uh, it was good. It was it was different. It was different to what I was used to. The, even just the, the kind of the way the Bruneian people are um, in a football environment. You know, um, they're so nice and gentle. Um, the Islamic culture, like they're so nice and gentle and. You know, I, myself and Joe were coming from a culture in Ireland and England where, like, you know, <laughs> if they, yeah, exactly. If things, if things weren't right, you let people know about it. And these poor, the poor, poor Bruneians are, are like shell shocked when we start up. Lucky enough, they didn't understand us half the time. Like, so, but, uh, but, but no, we, we look, you def, I definitely had to, uh, had to curb my, um, had to curb my anger a few times and, and be more of a, a gentle leader. But uh, it was a, it was an eye opening and great experience, and it opened up the doors then to go and play in Australia, um, which it, always in the back in the background I always wanted to play abroad. So Brunei opened the door in that regard, and as I said, got me fit and sharp, and I scored twenty six goals I think that year. So like it was the first time in a few years where I felt like myself. I felt you know, you know, I was I was I was moving well. I was sharp. I didn't feel like I had any real niggles. You know. Nothing to write home about anywhere. So it just got me, you know, got me primed for something else. And, and Australia and the, and the MLS were always in the back of my mind, even when I was playing in England. I'd always like to, to explore that. And when Australia kind of reared its head, I kind of I went with it. And uh, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's been a really good balance for us, football and family-wise. Um, I love living here, but also the football is really competitive, and there there's a similar culture here to Ireland and Britain. You know, I don't have to watch what I say. Uh, I probably have to watch what I do sometimes, but other than that, it's, it's all good. <laughs> so so uh, when when you were in uh, Australia, there you were playing for Brisbane, and you went back to to Newcastle. They they put a big yeah. a big banner of you with the snake's head and all. What was yeah, that? well, that, I play, that was Central Coast. So originally, when I came here, the first couple of seasons, I played for the Central Coast Mariners, uh, which is about an hour north of Sydney, uh, and Newcastle is about two hours north of Sydney. So it's a, that's a, that's the big derby up this way. And uh, when I obviously I left Central Coast Mariners, as after being their top scorer for a couple of seasons, and I went to their biggest rivals, <laughs> Newcastle Jets. So. As, as faith would have it, my first game of the new season was away from home at Central Coast Mariners in the Derby. And they had this big, whatever, 50 to 60 foot banner uh, of me oh, on a snake's geez. head uh, before the game. So, and it was a full, full stadium as well. It was probably 20 odd thousand people there that day. Uh, and I had signed for Newcastle 
Um, and they, they finished bottom of the table the season before. So people were kind of questioning that as well. But um, there was big things happening. We, we signed some good players. And long story short, I scored a hat-trick that day. We won 5-1. And that, that season with, with the Jets, we went to, uh, yeah, we finished. We just missed out on winning the actual the championship. And we got to the grand final. We were lucky to lose that as well. But it was a fantastic first season. And uh, yeah, it was great. It's great stories. I laugh about it now, but it was, yeah, it was a bit unnerving at the time. So now you know what it feels like to be like Luis Figo when he was at uh, Barcelona. Yeah. Um, ah, small. Maybe a smaller, maybe a smaller scale, yeah. <laughs> I wasn't getting any pig's heads thrown at me at the corner flag or anything, but, uh, but yeah, maybe maybe 10% of that, yeah. <laughs> so um, what, what's, like, uh, you're 35, uh, I'm not trying to, yeah. to like to say anything, whatever, like this be disrespectful because I'm 42, so I can't really say anything. But what's the plans when you hang up the boots? Are you going to, Stay in Australia and get into coaching, or would you see yourself coming back to to Europe? Like, why anybody want to go back to England and coach? You don't know because what you're saying there is like it's a, it's a brutal fucking job, to be honest. Yeah, coaching yeah. England like is that is that something yeah. that you'd willing to get into? Yeah, look, I'm doing my coaching badges and stuff like that, and uh, I I do a little bit here and there in the media over here, obviously to do with with football and that kind of stuff. Look, football has been my life and it's been my passion and still is. Um, as you said, 35 is young now. Um, <laughs> try, so I want to try and play for as long as my, my body will let me do it at a good level at this moment in time. Touch what I feel great, I feel strong, I feel, you know, I have no problem backing up. Um, but yeah, look, there is, there is a little bit of a, you have to have some foresight and, and I'm doing some coaching badges and I'm just getting myself prepared. But uh, lifestyle wise, yeah, look, I'd love to stay in Australia. I mean, Football over here is getting bigger, uh, similar to Canada, similar to America. It is, it is growing. It's, there's more participation. There's more involvement. It's getting a, a bigger deal. Um, ideally, yeah, I'd love to stay here. I think it'd be cruel in my family um, to move them, you know, anywhere else. Uh, we obviously miss our family back in Ireland, but uh, they're young enough to travel. We're young enough to get home every year. So, you know, it's fine. FaceTime is great. Um, but um, I don't. Yeah, yeah. Look, in an ideal world, Australia. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Am I in the headspace to go to go back to the UK? But look, never say never. So, with like um, in England, obviously, like you're playing like two games a week when you're down in the lower leagues, and the pitches are yeah. kind of cutting up and all that kind of stuff. Do you think that leaving England like in like six years ago has helped now like your career to extend it because you're not doing those two games on a muddy pitch and all that kind of stuff? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. That's a good point. I mean, um, I suppose, yeah, and especially come Christmas time in the new year when the pitch is like, and it's cold, and you've got a game on a Saturday and a Tuesday, and it's, you're kicking lumps out of each other, and <laughs> you've, got, you've, got, like, you've got a crick in your neck and the ball being in the air all night, and it's coming down with snow on it, and certainly, you know, 50 games a season, over 26 games a season in Australia, certainly that's managing my loads a lot better, you know, for my body. Um, and don't get me wrong I've had a few injuries along the way as well even over here which is which is you know par for the course but yeah I, I certainly feel like it's given me a lot more uh, quality in my career you know um, in the last few years I, you know if I'm feeling good on match day um, by and large we play Saturday to every, every Saturday you know so that that's been good um, and you know living in the sunshine a bit of it Bit of vitamin D and, and living by the seaside, it's, it's good for you as well. It's good for the soul. So, yeah, there's, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things in the mix there. 
Nice. Um, so Wes was playing with you. Uh, Wes Hulahan like bent over. Yeah. Uh, what, what did you do to him that he la- he only lasted a few months and I know. Took off back man, to I, I know. He was absolutely must have been sick of me after a few months. <laughs> Um, but uh, no, he was he was great. I think actually he just had uh, his his Mrs Emma was they were they were due to have their third child and they kind of wanted to be closer to home with family and all as much as they loved it for the season he was here. I think COVID actually quickened up the process. I think in an ideal world, had COVID not come, he would have stayed here for another year and played because uh, he he'd missed he'd bad injury. He missed half the season, but when he came back in the new year. He was just getting back to himself and he was looking outstanding. He kept himself in great nick, but he was looking really sharp and he was looking like getting, you know, getting back to the Wes of old again um, just before COVID. So, uh, yeah, I think they, as, a, as a family, they made a decision. They, they were going to go back to the UK, back to Norwich, back to the family home. And, um, uh, yeah, he just gave birth again. So, they they're, look, they're happy as Larry. Um, I think he does miss Australia. He misses the sunshine now when it's minus one in Norwich. <laughs> And he, they're restricted to the house at the moment, but uh, great lad, absolutely salt of the earth. Don't, don't work, fella. Um, you know, for all he's achieved in the game, and I, I was blessed to play with him. You know, uh, at various levels for Ireland and and obviously the Jets. But you know, even playing against him when he was at Shelburne and, and, and Norwich, he was a, he was always a great player. Always, always a really good player. Um, quality footballer, tenacious as well. We had our, we had our battles in the Cork City Shelburne days back back, nice. back in the, the mid two thousands. But uh, he doesn't hold it against me, so we, we still get on, thankfully, and we still text and call and all that. So yeah. So so it sounds like all you needed to do was to offer to babysit every now and again. Yeah, <laughs> well that's it. Look, you know, I haven't got I haven't got I haven't got the patience, Anthony. So, you know, as much as as much as much as I like it, you can go back to Norwich if you want that. But no, he was a. Uh, Top man, beautiful family, and he's a great football player. But uh, yeah, we would have loved to have him back here, especially this year. His his little bit of quality for open up defences. But uh, he's he's doing well. He's 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 defying the odds with his age as well. Back in the UK, and he's playing his two games a week. So good on him. So uh, just to finish off the show, we just do some quick fire uh, questions, and then you can get back to the sunshine. I'll get back to the, the snow. <laughs> so um, so uh, the, the the first question. Uh, What's your favorite? What, what's your prefer, Guinness, Beamish, or Murphy's? Oh, do you know what? No, I'm going to say something here. I, none of them. I'm not into any of them. I'm not. That's why you I'm, left. I'm, I'm, I, that, that's it. I, I got kicked out. My dad kicked me out. He did. Yeah. I know. I know. But I suppose I'd have to. I'd have to say. But I'd have to say Murphy's at Beamish there, wouldn't I? Really? I, you know. Yeah. I, I couldn't give. I couldn't give you the credit of Guinness there now. Uh, Barry's or Lions Tea. Um. Barry's. Tato or King Crisps? Tato. Favourite football book or movie? Favourite football book or movie? Uh, Do you remember When Saturday Comes? Yes. Uh, With with Sean Bean. He was was a raging alcoholic for some reason, but (laughs) when Saturday came, he scored two against Man United. (laughs) That was a a dream for any Irish man, isn't it? Big time. (laughs) Yeah, so that, that, that was one of my earliest football movies, yeah. Uh, the, the, your favorite pair of boots you've ever owned? A favorite pair of boots. Uh, one of my first pairs. I forget what they're called. Adidas something. Maybe been. I actually can't remember doing it. They had a red sole. This was before colored boots. Now I'm that old. Was it the black boots? Was the black boots with red sole? I don't know. I don't know. They they were. They looked apart and they made me look extra fast when the, when the red when the red was flashing. I know that. I scored a few, scored a few goals in them. 
Uh, home and away or neighbours? Um, home and away. Do you like veggie, mate? No. What am I? An animal? <laughs> Scar- scariest insect you've seen in Australia? A huntsman spider. But they're actually, they're actually harmless, but they're the size of your hand, and they're hairy, and they're aggressive looking, but they're actually the least harmful. It's, it's the small ones you have to worry about, apparently, so... Jesus you know, Christ. I know, I, I know. I love, yeah. a, I love that's the least scariest thing, yeah. a big fucking thing the size of your hand. Yeah, um, that's, a real, that's a real Aussie thing as well. Ah, don't, don't worry about them. <laughs> yeah, the, first, the first time you see one, you nearly jump out of your skin. Like. <laughs> so, uh, last question then is, you're going to play in a five-a-side tournament uh, from the players you played with. Who would be on your team? Right. Let me think about this one. Huh? Well, as I said to you, in training, he was unbelievable. So, I'm going to put Roy Keane in there. Unfortunately, I get a chance to play with him and 11 v 11, but he was uh, one of the best I've ever seen for a guy who was retired a few years and was still able to pull the strings in training. <laughs> um, I'll, put, I'll put Wes in there because I think he was unbelievable. Andy Reid was one of the best five side, side players I've ever seen, so I need, I need a defender and a striker, aren't I? You can put right. yourself in. <laughs> I could put my. I'll have to put myself in, won't yeah. I? I think, yeah. As, yeah, yeah. A lot of people have said when in my younger days I was a five-a-side player. Anyway, I'd never make 11 side players. Yeah, I stick myself in there. Uh, and defender. Let me think. Um, defender, boys. I'll go Richard Keogh. Richard Keogh was, when I was at Coventry, was a really solid pro, good lad. Um, and he would leave no... You know, he would leave nothing on the training field. You know, he's 100% blood and guts every day. So, yeah, we need one defender there with the, the team in front of that. <laughs> and then uh, f- five players that you'd want to go on the piss with. I'm joking. Oh. <laughs> you don't have to answer that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, thank you so much for taking the time to hang out and uh, talk football with me. I, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, good luck with the new season. And thank I you. love your, uh, it's almost like a Formula One top you've got on there with all the sponsorships on it. I there. know. We, I've actually got, I've got a, a coaching promo in about 20 minutes, so I'm, I'm already dressed for it. All my jet gear, all the badges. <laughs> they got a lot of sponsorship last year. I, I need to get a raise. Yeah, some big brands on there. <laughs> Thanks a million, man, and uh, best luck with the new season. My pleasure. Great speaking to you, and uh, all the best with the with the podcast going forward, buddy. Cheers, buddy. Thanks, man. And while there's meat on me bones, I hope I'll never be known as a typical homegrown cock langer. listening to the Down the Pub podcast, recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.